All right, welcome everyone to Miracle Mondays. Tonight our topic is on bowling balls from heaven. And you might wonder what that means if you see that title. Actually, that occurred to me some time ago when I realized that other people were carrying around mirrors of my belief system. My belief system was rather heavy at the time. So I started to think about bowling balls and how heavy they are. And the whole idea of bowling balls from heaven is about how each one of us carries a satchel of bowling balls over our shoulders. Again, we're just talking in metaphors here, but just a way to get a, get a hold of the idea. And in the satchel of these bowling balls, each one of these is, of course, very heavy, very cumbersome, and it weights us down, actually creates quite a burden. And each one of those bowling balls represents beliefs that we have about ourselves and about others. And so the only way to get those bowling balls out of our satchel is other people have to come along and the, the bowling balls are far too heavy and cumbersome to get to ourselves. So other people have to literally reach right into our bag and pull those bowling balls out one by one and show them to us. And this is how we begin the process of letting go of these bowling balls. So what that might look like is if you are feeling, let's say, inadequate for some reason. Maybe you feel that you're not smart enough. Let's just say that. You grew up feeling you aren't smart enough. And now you've gone to a job interview, and the person responds to you by saying, well, we would have hired you, but you just didn't have the right education. And now I have the proof and the evidence to prove my position. But if we could truly see what's going on, I'm carrying around this belief that says I'm not smart enough. And now this kind soul has agreed to play a little role with me, and they have come across my path, and now they reach into my bag and they pull out that belief that says I'm not smart enough, and by denying me the job, they are now mirroring that belief to me so that I can take another look. So all this is sort of going on behind the scenes, you might say. This is not an outward picture, it's an inward one. But if we can get to understand this and see what's going on, it's the first step in really undoing a system that is really holding us hostage on so many levels. So what do we do with that? So now someone has just shown me the bowling ball of I'm not smart enough. And it's now, now I have a choice. And really I can make two choices. One choice is I can validate that bowling ball and I can say, I knew it. I knew I wouldn't get that job. I knew I didn't have the education. I don't know why I went for it in the first place. I should have known better, right? Now, what I've just done is I validated my belief that I'm not smart enough. And now that bowling ball gets to go back into my satchel. And now either that person or another person will have the joy of pulling that bowling ball out yet again, showing it to me once again. So we have another choice, though. And the other choice in A Course in Miracles is to realize what's going on and that what other people are doing is they are actually offering you this golden opportunity to free yourself. Those very people that are showing up in our lives that seem to be persecutors or the ones that seem to be judging us, those are the ones, those are the strongest mirrors that are actually mirroring back to us our own consciousness. And if we don't let that get away, and we actually use it for our own healing and our own release, really amazing things can begin to happen. So our second choice, which is the one that I hope we will all learn to take, is that we, we question the belief. 
So as soon as that person drags that bowling ball out of my satchel and says, sorry, you can't have this job, basically they're saying you're not smart enough, right? You don't have the education. You don't have what it takes. You are deficient, even if they're not saying it in so many words. So what I would want to do in this case is I would want to take a look at what has been said here and not so much about what they're saying and what they are doing and what's happening about them. What I want to do is look at what's going on inside of me. What am I feeling? What am I thinking as I respond to this situation? Perhaps I'd be feeling inadequate or unworthy at some level. Somehow I have missed having something that I need and now it has cost me. In order to question the belief, it might look something like this. I could do a prayer. And I could say right there in that moment, just a split second of time, I don't have to say this out loud. And I can say, dear God, help me to look at this belief about myself, that I'm not worthy or that I'm deficient or that I'm inadequate in some way. Please take this thought from me and heal it for me. Help me to know what you know about me. Help me to see what you created within me. And when we do this, this means that we are questioning the belief. Our belief is being shown to us. It's big. It's tangible. It has mirrors. It has a big glaring red light on top of it. And our first tendency is to validate it. The way that we validate it is we either attack the person or we defend our position. So if I went ahead and said, you're right, I shouldn't have applied anyway, then I'd really be defending my current belief system. Or if I decide to get hostile towards the other person, well, I don't know why you don't hire people that don't have this particular education. I mean, who do you think you are? Or if I went into that mode, I would be attacking them for my belief. And so if we attack or defend the other person, when these feelings are coming up, what we are doing is we are validating that bowling ball and it's going back in our satchel. So this, of course, is something that can further delay our happiness. In fact, if you look out over your whole life, all the people sort of on your outside circle and people on the inside circle and maybe people outside those circles, the people that you don't even know or haven't even met yet. And if you look out in this sea of people around you, you might take a little inventory and just, you know, give yourself some rough percentages. See, I used to be an accountant, and so everything in my mind has to be kind of, you know, uh, proven, or somehow it has to be in a tangible form that I can get my fingers around. And so if you give it some percentages, you might look at it this way. How many people in my inside circle and my outside circle, let's say the ones I'm acquainted with, are allies? People that love me, support me, want the best for me, forgive me if I make a mistake or I do something wrong. How many of those people, as a percentage, are in my life? How many people are persecutors? People that are ready to judge and tell me that I've done something wrong or that I'm not doing it the right way or I need to do it differently in some way. So you could actually start to assign some percentages. And this isn't about them. This is like an inside exercise. And then you might take an inventory of how many people are what you would consider victims or deficient in some way. Actually, people that you're judging, they're not doing enough to contribute to their own family or whatever, some way that we are judging them. So you could take a percentage of those people out of this, these circles that go around you. And what you can actually end up with 
is kind of a good idea about how much love you're holding for yourself. So if you find that 90% of your group are persecutors or deficient in some way, people you would judge, people that aren't doing enough, people that aren't supportive, people that aren't loving you very much. It's not something to judge yourself about. It's just something to be aware of. If there's not amazing, loving, wonderful people around you, then something on the inside says either you're not worthy of it, you don't deserve it, or you're not enough such that these people are now the mirrors of your own consciousness. So it's not about judging them. This is about an awareness, and it's not about judging ourselves. It's about realizing that if those percentages are a little higher than you'd like them to be, that the people around you are more persecuting than you would like them to be, that they aren't all allies. And it doesn't mean everyone around us has to love us and think that we walk on water. The people in your life that hold a space for you to be yourself, the people that are willing to love you even if you don't give them what they want, are the people that are actually showing up in love instead of fear, right? So it's, it's okay to show up in fear, but fear obscures love. If we are experiencing many people around us in our life that are not coming across in a loving way, then really it's about what's going on inside of us. And if the percentages are higher than, let's say, zero, <laughs> then there's some opportunity there. And what we can do is begin to look at our relationships and see what the golden opportunities are. Let's say in a certain relationship that uh, someone that you're, you're very much involved with Somehow they they either think you are not doing something you should be doing or you are doing something you shouldn't be doing. If we were to look at the tie between us in that specific situation, one thing we could find is that if you're feeling judged that you're not doing enough in some capacity, then you would take a look at what's coming up in you. What are the feelings coming up in your own mind and heart, which might be feelings of anger, Maybe you're feeling judged and you don't think it's rightful. It might be uh, resentment or it might be embarrassment. If Maybe you believe that what they're saying and thinking is true and that now you're feeling a little sad within your own being that what they're saying is true. So no matter what's coming up in you, that is really where we get a hold of the beliefs that are being uncovered here. So if someone is saying that you're not doing enough or you're not being enough, That must mean that somewhere inside myself, I feel like I'm not doing enough or being enough. The only way this other person could actually mirror this back to me is to have that belief within myself because nothing happens outside of us. And there's a couple of readings we'll do in the course tonight that really talk about how the only pain that we experience is really from our own perceptions about our own situation. So we're now looking at this experience that I'm not doing enough and I'm checking in with myself before I go and attack or defend the other person. I'm going to check in with that and go, okay, what part of my mind is feeling like I'm not doing enough because this person is now the mouthpiece of my belief system. And if we will look at this for what's going on, there is such a jewel in this. As the Course in Miracles says, this other person is our portal to heaven. This other person is our salvation. And the reason they are is because they are showing us the faulty beliefs 
that we are holding about ourselves. Think about this. What if we never knew what those were? What if we wandered around in this universe having all these crazy beliefs about ourselves, but we never knew that they weren't true? Isn't it a great thing, even though it's positive and negative sometimes, isn't it a great thing that we have these other people that are our mirrors that are stepping in to say, here's one, right? Of course, it doesn't feel that way when it's happening. When someone on the other end of the line is saying, you didn't do that right, or you didn't do that well enough, or how come you did it that way, right? With that little sound of judgment. And so if we can stop right there, And remember that all they're doing is mirroring our own consciousness right back to us. We go within. This is an inside job. My husband and I were talking before the class and he made a comment that, you know, that inside vault can only be accessed from the inside. It's an inside job. So the vault that we hold, that's holding all those beliefs, the other person is actually bringing it to our attention, but it must be accessed by ourselves. We have this beautiful opportunity, although many times it will escape us because it will come across as judgment or hostility or some reason that we should either fire back or become angry or frustrated. And this is where, you know, the real spiritual muscle gets developed, but it comes with so many rewards. As we begin this journey of practicing these things that sometimes seem so hard you know it's easy to practice these things when everything's going well it's really hard to practice them when it matters the most which is when that other person is right there in our face or they feel like a threat or a danger or somehow they are having some kind of behavior that seems completely unreasonable and so this is what we do we go inward and we ask for help very first thing we just go straight to god or Holy Spirit, or however you want to use the words that connect you into that higher realm of consciousness. And we say, Dear God, I am having such a hard time seeing the truth of this person that somehow what they did in the past is somehow obscuring the truth as you created it within them. And I want to see the light that you created within them. I need your strength, and I need you to show it to me in a way that I can understand it. It's a very, very simple step, but it's not the easiest, and it's not usually the most chosen. Because when we feel that we're right about something, we're listening to our lower mind, which is called the ego. And when we're listening to the lower mind, the lower mind always feels that it's right. And that if you were to stop judging that person, that perhaps they would go back to their old behaviors, or perhaps you would be not protected in some way, or it would just happen again, or maybe it would get worse. It's almost like you must watch them, right? Once the judgment has been made, we have this idea, we must watch them, or else something about us could be threatened or harmed in some way. So we go straight to prayer. And as we do that, no matter what that person is doing or thinking or saying, our conscious response is to realize that it's a call for love. So in The Course in Miracles, it says that each one of us is is either experiencing one of two things. One, we are in love or we are calling for love. When a person is now acting out in some way and it's bringing up our discomfort, our anger, frustration, judgment, what we realize from that is that it's actually a call for love. It's not a call for judgment. The ego would say, well, you you must judge them because that's the, the righteous thing to do. 
that actually judgment is a righteous thing. You know, almost like an eye for an eye. Or if you don't judge them in some way, they they will take advantage of you. You need to be concerned about this. So let's just say you live in an apartment complex and maybe you're parked next to a person that every morning they come down, they get in their car and they ding your door, right? And maybe this is your assigned parking space. So what I'm not saying is to just throw pink paint over it and, uh, and pretend that this isn't happening. That's not what The Course in Miracles is talking about. What we're doing is a couple of things. One is you have a physical response. But before you have a physical response, always go to that spiritual response first. Because what you do consciously is what drives everything that will happen from this point out. Okay? So the very first thing is to go, okay, dear God, I need to move forward on this. I need to take some action. Will you please um, you know, guide my thoughts, guide my words. Show me what to do and how to handle this with love. Show me how to respond with love instead of judgment and fear. Before you ever have the conversation, it's time to pray and ask what to say and how to say it. And please help me to see this other person. Help me to see the innocence of them and the truth of them. Help me to see this as a call for love instead of judgment and cost and harm. Right? So we're asking to kind of raise it up into the light right away. And now we do what's in front of us to do. And this is something that, you know, my husband and I came up with over time and just using the course in a very practical way. Do what's in front of you to do. You know, if if it's a big enough problem and you need to call the police, call the police. But not from a place of anger and resentment and frustration because any of those emotions is robbing you of your peace. Stay in your peace. Don't give your peace up over a door ding or even a dented door or even an accident. We want to give up our peace over any purpose, right? So do what's in front of you to do because oftentimes consequences of an action are one of the best teaching aids for a person to learn how to have a different action or a different reaction. If you talk to that person and they don't do anything about it and they you know, continue to do what seems to cause harm, then it's okay to take those steps that would hold your peace, that would keep you out of fear and to do what's in front of you to do. Actually, what you do is not nearly as important as where you go in consciousness. What you might do also is a prayer in this case. It says, Dear God, I'm having this experience about this car situation. Help me to know that there is nothing of this earth that can alter me in any way. I am your holy child. I have a right to happiness and peace and well-being. And that I cannot be threatened or harmed because of what you created within me. As we hold the truth in our minds, what begins to happen is our external experience, which is the effect of our consciousness, begins to shift and change. Miracles are the result of a shift in perception. So when I go from a place of fear and anger and worry about my car, and I shift into a place of love and compassion and understanding no matter what, I have just made fertile ground for the miracle to occur. Now, that might be the neighbor who's always been rather, you know, challenging and difficult, all of a sudden showing up saying, oh, I can't believe this is going on. Let me take care of that. In fact, you know, here's some extra to cover whatever needs to be done and just really taking care of that responsibly. There was a time at an old center I had where I had put out all these tents so we could have a public event that was all free to the public, lots of healing going on. It was a beautiful event. All these people came to donate their time. 
And uh, we were so exhausted by the end of the evening, we decided to leave our tents up in our own parking lot. It was all tucked behind a building, didn't see any problem with it. It was all on concrete, but the tents were quite heavy and they're all sitting back there behind the building. So we thought, you know, we'll just take these things down tomorrow morning. So we came back the next morning and my husband and I drove on by and uh, the tents looked fine. So we thought we'd grab some breakfast first and then we came back. And when we came back, the tents were everywhere. Somehow a wind came out of nowhere. The tents were just blasted all over the parking lot. And one in particular was in the parking lot next door to us laying up against a white convertible Mercedes. And this particular Mercedes belonged to the tenant next door. We were not welcome anywhere near her building for any reason. But I mean, it was really for all the neighbors, which was fine. But all of a sudden, it's her car that my tent is up against. And I thought, oh, my goodness. You know, so right away, my thoughts are starting to come in about, you know, this isn't going to be a good situation. Because she's already, you know, a little sensitive about any neighbors. And now... Look what's happened. My tent has, maybe it's damaged the car. I don't even really know. But these are big tents and they actually roll. They have metal parts and somehow it's laying up against her Mercedes. So I went into my own center first and someone was in there that was able to um, offer me some love and a place of understanding because I walked in basically just holding my head going, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? I have to go talk to her and see what's going on here. And the person sat me down. And she said, you know, this is, a, this is a really good time to realize the truth of what's going on. And I'm like, you know, you're right. And the truth is that we cannot be altered by anything in this world, nor can we alter another person in truth. These are the things we hold on to is the truth of our being. What we experience here is a collection of all the beliefs and misperceptions of a mind in conflict with itself. It's not the truth. It's the experiences that we have. But if we will call upon and draw upon the truth, we actually have truth as our safety and protection. So I went back into a room before I went to talk to her, and I just did a prayer. And I said something like, Dear God, I came in and I found this situation where these tents have rolled all over the place. And first and foremost, I asked for your help in helping me to forgive myself because I realized I was already holding a judgment and a grievance against myself. And I realized that I was looking into a belief about myself that I didn't do enough to keep it from happening, right? And I also was looking at a belief that I didn't have enough resources to even cover the problem if there was one. So really this opportunity was showing me a lot of beliefs that were coming up. As I was exploring what was going on inside of me, these were the things coming up. I didn't have the resources to fix the problem and that she was probably going to be hostile because she had been in the past. So I was already prejudging her. So she was already a victim in my scene, right? And I was already judging myself as not knowing how to handle this and what to do about it. So I surrendered all those thoughts. And I said, God, just take these from me. Help me to know that your love is sufficient and that I can draw upon your certainty that I don't need to worry about this. I'm going to put it right into your capable hands, and I ask you to give me the words and the thoughts and everything I need to walk through this with confidence. I finally got to a place of peace, and then I walked next door. So again, in the past, this particular person had been rather unkind on every single conversation. So I walked in the door, and uh, I called out to her, and she invited me into her office. 
And uh, also what I had been told in my own center is that the woman had already seen what had happened and she already had a claims adjuster looking at her Mercedes and calculating damages. So I walked in there and I said, you know, I, I heard what happened. I'm so sorry. I want to take care of it. You know, what do we need to do here? And she just sat back in her chair and she just had this beautiful look on her face. And she said, you know, it is no problem at all. It's no problem. She goes, I already looked at it and it's just fine. She goes, in fact, you know, we've been on camping trips before and our tent blew away as well. And I said, really? I mean, she was wonderful. And she'd never talked to me this way before this time. And and I said, but I, I heard you had a claims adjuster out here calculating the damages to your car, so there must have been damages. And she said, oh, no, that was a client of mine that was present at the time, and they just happened to be a claims adjuster, but we weren't calculating damages. She said, I guess the story got turned around a little bit. She really was very, very gracious. And I just walked out, and she said, there's no problem, there's no damage. But do you see, this has happened so many times I've lost track. It comes from the response of love instead of fear. And that's why drawing upon the truth of our being is so critical. Every time, all the time. Especially when we're scared. Especially when it looks impossible. We've all walked into those circumstances and into those relationships where the other person seems to have the upper hand or what they're saying is uh, it, it seems rather hostile and maybe they have a right for it or maybe we feel that they don't. In either way, we start to attack or defend our position even before we've made a reservation for peace. You know, last time we talked a little bit about how, you know, we need to set the goal of peace before we do anything, before we engage a problem, even in relationship. If we're in a relationship with uh you know, another person, say in the same household, someone that maybe is very hostile or angry about their condition. Maybe they're not feeling well, and so they're, they're fearful or scared. And sometimes it can, it can feel really challenging to not judge them or take out your own frustrations. And so it's good to, you know, make time for yourself that if you're in a situation like that, that you're giving yourself enough time, alone time, to pray to get quiet, to get centered, to be able to look upon that relationship with loving eyes. And then to always ask for help with that, to ask for the strength of God. You know, it's our part to show up with willingness, but it's God's part to show up with the strength. Isn't that kind of nice to know that we don't have to be so strong, but we do have to be willing. So when we are looking into a relationship where we think we are right about our situation, about our opinion or our judgment, this is where the rubber meets the road, so to speak, right? This is the place where we, we need to take time to pray and look at what's coming up in me so that I can start to identify some of the beliefs I'm carrying around in this satchel of mine so that we can put them down once and for all. Now, truth be told, that when you practice this, and the very first time you practice it, there will be a huge shift in relationship at some level. Your willingness to see the other person differently and to call upon the truth, your willingness to look at what beliefs are being triggered within you, and then surrendering those and giving those to your higher consciousness to be healed, this has a beautiful effect on the situation as a whole. And then what will happen 
is one or two more times, <laughs> someone will reach in and grab that bowling ball, the very same one. Because it's almost like a graduation in a way. It's not a test. No matter what situation we're in, if the other person is bringing up our judgment in any way, if they are rattling us, if they are somehow getting to our vulnerable place, even if it's for one minute, we have actually sort of shot ahead a miscreation. Because even for one minute, we said, this is real. And this is my life, right? And we validated it just a little bit. So when we validate it just a little bit, you're going to see it just a little bit again. Now, that's not something to be afraid of. It's something to be aware of. Let's say somebody's showing you the bowling ball that says that you're not doing enough or you're not being enough or you're not smart enough. And, and then you stand up to it and you go, okay, I have two choices. One choice is I can attack or validate my position, which reinforces that belief. No, I have no interest. And the second decision is, and the one we want to choose, is I'm going to question this and I'm going to be willing to see it differently and I'm going to ask God himself to show me the truth of who I am and that I deserve everything good. Well, let's say for one minute, they got my attention and they got me a little frustrated, a little angry, or you could kind of feel your hair stand up just a little bit from that conversation. You are likely to see it again, just a little bit. So now here comes another person or perhaps even the same one. They reach out when you're least expecting it and they pull out that bowling ball and they show it to you in another way. It'll come entirely in a different situation, a different package, a different mm -hmm. form. And you won't even recognize it at first. And now the challenge is someone's showing you the bowling ball that says you're not doing enough. And then you can stop kind of with that inward smile and you can go, I know what this is. And you can respond by just saying no in your mind. I am willing to see the truth of myself. I am enough. I was created with enough. I have enough. My source is intact. End of story, right? Now it's our conscious response. Now what we do in the physical is we do what's in front of us to do. Perhaps to the other person, the other person that says, you know, you're not doing enough. And it's tempting to get into a place of attack or defense. So you think, well, what do I do instead? In The Course in Miracles, on Lesson 153, the title is, In My Defenselessness, My Safety Lies. And that's a really interesting concept. Isn't that sort of a 180 from what the world believes? The world says you have to be defensive. You have to protect yourself or you will be vulnerable. And here comes A Course in Miracles along saying, In my defenselessness, my safety lies. So when we are in that conversation, ask for the words, ask for the thoughts that would help you to stay in a place of defenselessness. Meaning, what do I say so that I'm not attacking them? And what do I say so that I'm not defending myself? What else could I say? And I actually had the opportunity to practice this with another person that I was very close to. And uh, we had had a lot of arguments at this point. And so the phone rang, and here, here comes what I would think to be another argument. But I was on this particular lesson at, at the time. So I picked up the phone, and i just seen those words. In my defenselessness, my safety lies. 
And this other person began right in to start to bring up all the things and all the reasons why I was not doing the right thing or I, you know, whatever. There was, everything was wrong about what I was doing. And so I just listened to them and I just kept praying for the words. What do I say so that I'm not defending myself, but I'm not attacking them? And so I started to say things like, you know, I hear what you're saying, right? I hear what you're saying. That's not attacking or defending. I hear what you're saying. And uh, what I'd like to share with you is this. Not a defense, but maybe some statement of truth about the situation that we're both involved in, right? So something that uh, kind of a mutual ground that we can both lean on. And I just kept coming from a place of not defending and not attacking. And within about probably 15 seconds, that conversation, uh, the yelling on the other end came down to a neutral space and we were able to have the most civil conversation we had ever had at that point. And I almost gasped. You know, I, I just was looking at the phone thinking, this stuff works. Because I never tried it before. You know, we're always so busy either attacking or defending, we never try to find that middle ground. And it doesn't mean that we want people to walk all over us. But you will find words in the middle, the words that are not about what you're doing wrong or about what I'm doing right. What can we talk about besides that and still have this conversation? And there are words in the middle. And in those words, there is no way to continue the attack. You know, it takes two in order to have a persecutor and a victim. It takes two. And if you stop being a victim, the persecutor has no one to attack. Or if you're the persecutor and all of a sudden you stop being a persecutor, you have no victim, right? It takes two to have that relationship. So let's say, let's amp it up a bit. Let's say that you're in a situation where someone is actually uh, pointing a gun at your head. Now you've got a persecutor with a weapon or a villain, and you're the victim, right, in this scenario. So if we think about this as a role that's being played, so what might be our belief at this point? Someone's got a gun to my head. So somewhere in my mind, now I'm, I'm afraid, right? I'm starting to feel afraid for my life, for my safety. So right away, I can quickly understand that I must have a belief that I am vulnerable in this world that I am not safe around other people, especially certain people. I might have a belief that there are people that are evil and would do harm to me. There's a lot of beliefs going on in this moment with the gun pointed at my head. The only way for me to even be in that situation is I must have these beliefs, that I am actually the custodian of these beliefs. They cannot happen to me without my consent. In The Course in Miracles, it says we create what we defend against. And that's a lot of spiritual awareness. Because the ego would say, what are you saying? So somebody points a gun at your head and you think it's your fault? It's not about fault. It's about cause and effect. You see, the ego will always make it about blame. The ego always needs a target for its judgment and its hostility. But if we take away the judgment and the hostility, all that's happening is I'm carrying some beliefs about my safety, about my vulnerability, and this other person is now mirroring those beliefs to me by playing this role with me. 
And if I will allow even that instant with a gun to my head, if I will allow that instant to be used for my freedom, even that moment can free me forever. So what we can do is do what's in front of you to do. So perhaps your first response is, I don't know, like say you know how to disarm someone. Okay, I actually took a judo class. I can disarm someone. So perhaps my first response, even before I think, is I might disarm them, right? Or maybe your first response is to run. I don't know. So whatever you're thinking about physically, do what's in front of you to do. Do what it takes to keep your mind out of fear and distress, but get right to your conscious response as quickly as you possibly can because your conscious response is what's going to dictate the outcome of the situation. And it's sort of all happening at the same time. Okay? So what I might want to know in that situation with a gun to my head, and actually it has happened to me, is I just started praying out loud. Because I was so scared, I didn't know what to do. And in order to keep myself out of fear, I just started saying the Lord's Prayer. This is long before I knew what to do. And so it worked just fine. I started saying the Lord's Prayer out as loud as I could. And I just used it like a shield of protection. And the other person dropped their gun and left. And I know that it was the prayer that protected me. Not from harm, but from my own belief system that said I could be harmed. So if you can't think of anything else, think of some prayer you have memorized and just start saying that out loud so you can hear yourself and keep your mind out of that fearful place. You know, it's really interesting if you watch different uh, shows like uh, I Survived or uh, Snapped or things like this. Shows where people act out in their, their greatest hostility. It's kind of interesting to watch the human mind and what people do in certain scenarios and what they feel driven to do because of these fearful thoughts that are floating through their mind. But if you'll notice, the people that end up praying, the people that go to a place of non-judgment somehow are the ones that walk away unscathed. It's not about judgment or being good. It's about this is where we draw upon our own safety and our own shield of protection. So if we had someone doing this to us, we would, we would want to quickly remember that God is our safety, that we cannot be vulnerable in this world, that we are invulnerable to anything in this world or anyone. There's a prayer in the Miracles and Prayer Handbook. It's called The Truth, and it's just there is only God. There's only the power of God. There's only the presence of God. There is no opposing power. Sin, disease, and death are not real, and there is nothing to fear. And if you learn something like that, you can say that as a mantra in any moment of fear, and I guarantee you, you will see a shift. And you know, there's a shift because the illusion The role play that's in process is being held in place by our own misperceptions and beliefs. So if you abandon the misperception and you hold on to what is true, the illusion has to come down. It takes two to join in the illusion. If you're having a, you know, something going on in a relationship, whether it's under hostility or some kind of peace, it takes two of you to engage in that. So do what's in front of you to do. It doesn't mean don't do anything or run and hide in a closet. Maybe that's what you feel like doing. But get to your conscious response. Get to your prayer. Ask for help. And go to the place of non-judgment. And ask how to see this differently. 
Because in this moment, this whole drama that's playing out, whether it's a gun to your head or someone just yelling at you or someone, you know, disapproving of you or someone saying that, you know, you you should be doing something differently in some way, whether it's a very mild form or a very hostile form, these are all defenses against the truth. Every one of these scenarios is kind of a preoccupation of our mind to block love. And if we will not let it be used for that, it can literally be used as a catalyst for our own freedom and to get back to the love and the peace that is our inherent birthright. Now I had a question. You know, you know, I'm working with a um, nonprofit, and, and there are things that I see. I don't want to attack. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, I don't want to judge, but um, what it is, I see what it is. I see what's going on. Mm-hmm. So how do you go about it? I don't want to attack. I don't want to judge. I don't want to, you know. Well, first of all, that's a wonderful premise, you know, to come from that place because you're already inviting miracles. Mm-hmm. So when you're seeing a situation that is not right, now sometimes part of the healing can be about expression. Mm-hmm. You know, learning to express, to offer an observation that could be utilized for the purpose of good, you know, to be an influence for good. So, you know, sometimes we're in a situation because of knowledge or expertise or some way that we can be helpful or influential for a good purpose. So if what you see, if what if you were to talk about it and express it, and you see that it could be an influence for good, then it would be a good opportunity to share what it is that you're thinking about very directly with whomever needs to hear it, right? But only if it's to be an influence for good. If we're seeing something as deficient or weak or wrong um, and we're, we're feeling angry, frustrated, or resentful, then we basically realize that we have a misperception. So if we're seeing something out of accord, or we're seeing it less than whole, now we've got an inside job. Because the only way we can see something as less than whole is there has to be a part of our, our own mind that is judging, okay? So then we follow that little cord back into our own mind. And we say, dear God, you know, I'm, I'm experiencing looking upon this situation and it's bringing up distress in me. And so I must have a belief that somehow this person, this organization, or whatever's happening is not happening in a way that I feel is correct or right, okay? And the only way I would be able to see something as less than whole is there must be some thoughts in my own mind that are not about wholeness. Will you please heal the part of my mind that believes that someone or something can be less than whole? So we want to ask for that as well, the healing of our own thoughts, right? And then there's these other opportunities where sometimes just having a conversation out of love can actually bring a great blessing to another person. So we're just kind of uh, bringing awareness or information. And you can kind of tell where you're coming from based on how you feel. If there's hostility or anger or resentment or frustration, then you know that there's some inside work to do. Not for us to do but for us to be willing to surrender that part and let that be healed within us. And then if we just have a great idea that we would love to share with another person or an organization for their own betterment in some way, then we would feel called to share that. 
Now, they may not receive it, and that's fine. It's not up to us who receives that information, but it, you know we're, we're delivering it with love the best that we know how. So we can kind of keep those parts clear. You see something, and like I see this television is half. Okay. So I can't say this is coming from inside. This is half television. This is not the whole television. Mm-hmm. At the same time, when I look at it and I can't see the picture, I get angry because it doesn't do what it has to do. Right. Okay. So there's a fine line which I lost that I don't know. Okay, so her question is that, um, or statement, is that when you're looking at a situation and you see it as less than whole, that there's, there's a feeling that that's something sort of outside of you that you can't do much about and it can make you frustrated. Okay, so in order to use this particular principle, there needs to be a willingness to understand that there is nothing outside of you. Just playing with that thought. There is nothing outside of you. So everything you see with your eyes is a projection of your own consciousness. So if you see, like she mentioned, seeing half of a television versus a whole one, that she would want to see the whole one, and if she only saw half, it would be a frustrating experience if you were trying to watch something, right? So if we're seeing half of a television, then something in our mind is giving a home to the idea that we are able to have a less than whole experience. Oh, okay. Okay? If we have that thought in our mind we will literally create and be surrounded by experiences that appear to be less than whole and relationships that appear to be less than whole. So this is taking on a really lofty idea that it's not about fault. It doesn't mean this other person screwed up and I'm to blame for it. It's, it's not about blame. We want to kind of lift it up into the light and just let go of this whole idea of blame and whose fault it is and where the judgment should be. It's not about that. It's an awareness that the thoughts that we think, we will see them. If we believe we live in a world that is impoverished, it's lacking, or there's evil, or there's people that would actually actively work against us, we will actually look out and see that world. It will show up for us. And that world will show up as a collective consciousness and reach in and pull out our bowling ball that says, this is your world. See it? This is the one that you conjured up in your mind. So let's say, um, you know, if I look on the news tonight and I see all these uh, little starving children, you know, dying tonight in another country or this country, right? So I can look at that and I can validate that by either attacking, you know, how could this world be this way that they would let all these children die? Or I could defend myself like, well, who am I to save the world? And how could I, you know, I'm too weak to handle this big problem or, you know, so I could go one way or the other and validate that experience. Or I can take it right up into the light. And I can say, dear God, I'm looking at a picture that says children are dying of starvation. So the only way I can look at that picture. The only way it's on my radar screen is somewhere in my mind I have accepted the idea that our world, that our universe has a lack of love. Somewhere in my mind I've said yes to this because I wouldn't even be able to see this in my experience if I didn't join with it somewhere. 
what I say is, you know, do, do what's in front of you to do. Feed the children, send your check, send money, right? But what you do consciously is everything. So then we go, dear God, please help me to know that your will is that we have everything. Your will is that we are fed. Your will is that we have resources and protection and safety and health and happiness. Help me to see what you see. Help me to accept only what you have given. And as I ask for that healing of my own mind, I am sending out waves of healing to my collective mind, which is all of us as one. This is where, you know, we may think we're not doing anything and yet we're doing everything. So we want to do something physically that would keep us out of fear, out of guilt. So send a check, send some food, right? Do what you feel compelled to do in the physical. But what you do consciously is what will shift the whole paradigm, will shift the consciousness. So whether it's something we watch on the news that we think we're completely unattached to or something we see in a parking lot, you know, maybe we, uh, in a parking lot, you might have seen where a parent maybe is acting out on a child. Maybe they're yelling at a child or spanking a child, you know, and, and being very harsh with them. You know, you might feel compelled to call the authorities. You might feel compelled to say something. You might feel compelled to pick up the child and say, hey, stop that. You know, whatever you feel compelled to do physically, ask first and then take your action with the greatest love you know how. But what you do consciously is you look at that situation and you go, dear God, I'm looking at a situation where this parent is taking out their anger on a child. So somewhere in my mind, I must believe that this is possible, probable, or even expected in our world. So I can use this moment to give to God and say, take that from my mind. Let me have your healed and whole thoughts in the place where I have accepted this idea into my consciousness. I want to know the purity and the innocence and the grace of the world as you created it. I want to know the truth as you have given it. And as we do this, watch the miracles happen. Because at this point, we have no attachment to wrath or righteousness or fault or blame. We're seeing a call for love. We're seeing a parent that is overwhelmed by their situation. It doesn't mean what I'm not saying what they're doing is right. I'm not condoning their behavior. I'm saying that what you're seeing is a person overwhelmed by fear and their conditions because the only time we would actually act in that way as a loving child of God is if we are completely consumed by fear or our situation such that we have completely forgotten who we are and now we are projecting that anger and that guilt onto another being and usually someone that can't defend themselves like a child or or someone that seems not as threatening so what we're looking at is a call for love and that's really hard to do in a situation where you feel like you'd maybe like to take that person out or maybe you'd like to see them uh, suffer in the same way that the child is suffering. But you see, the moment you call upon wrath for another person, it's you you're calling your wrath upon. That person out there, there is no one outside of us. So this person we're looking at is a part of our own mind that has forgotten about love. And that's why it's a call for love. 
if there's these darkened places in our own mind and consciousness and we will consciously send love to those places imagine what that's doing to your own collective consciousness it is illuminating your mind you are waking up in this action of love it's like going from the nightmare and choosing to be awake do you realize that when you're in a nightmare the only real safety from a nightmare is to wake up right you can't battle your illusions you can't really run from far enough away from the boogeyman he'll catch you in a nightmare right so the only way to really be safe in a nightmare something that we're looking at that we don't understand and we don't know how to change is to wake up and every time we draw upon the truth every time we ask to see the truth of this other person it means we are laying down our defenses we're laying down our need to be right or judgmental or wrathful and we are saying god let love take its place help me to see what you see help me to understand what i have forgotten because i wouldn't be able to see what i'm seeing now or feel what i'm feeling now if i had remembered the love as you have given it i'm thinking about trying to heal relationships that perhaps in the past have had have been with conflict Mm -hmm. and the other parties continue to perceive um you and and as well as a relationship with you to be one of conflict one of um discomfort for them but you want to heal the relationship at the same time you want to recognize that you probably will not have the same level of a relationship because of the past conflict and and pain that was created but you still want to heal the relationship there's a there's a number of things that that come up about that one is that there's still a thought that this relationship is in an unhealed condition so we want to just look at okay what's still coming up in this relationship kind of as an example so one is you're having a thought that it's still unhealed and it needs healing so right there we could say okay god please help me to see the healed condition of this relationship help me to see the truth as you see it that there is no deficiency there is no deficit there is nothing missing and only love is real Help me to see that truth. Now, this is really taking it up into the light of consciousness. Not everyone's willing to do this. But I tell you what, this is where the miracles happen. This is where, you know, heaven seems to open its doors. Is because when you draw upon the truth, you're no longer bound to the limitation of your lower mind, right? So it seems challenging, but we want to take it right up into the light. Show me the healed condition of this relationship. The second part is that in A Course in Miracles, it says, you know, we're never required to sacrifice our peace. So let's just say I'm in a a situation where I'm in an abusive relationship and that person is, you know, hitting me constantly every day. Now, the Course doesn't say, oh, you have to stay there and you have to just keep loving them and taking this abuse because, you know, it's not real. It doesn't say that. The Course actually gives you some very practical steps, but it doesn't give you every step. Remember, what we do consciously is the most important thing. And then do what you need to do physically so that you can bring down the level of fear. 
So obviously, if you're feeling like you're in an abusive relationship, you would want to do something physically to say, remove yourself from that experience so that you could have a conscious response and have a moment to think about that. Our physical response might be one of moving or, or uh, having some distance from the person while we are praying about it. Okay, so this person that um, you really would like to have a healed relationship, you're not seeing it really happen, or maybe it's not happening fast enough, something like that. Okay, so when we're in that situation, if it um, if it feels like it's not happening or is not happening fast enough, then we we just want to keep turning it over. Um, if you feel like you're being abused in that relationship, you might use some distance, physical distance. We're not bodies. And so what you do as a body is not nearly as important as what you do consciously, okay? So if you need some distance from that person to be able to pray about it and get to some perspective, then that's a good choice. It's a choice towards peace. You want to do that which is always taking you towards more peace on all levels. We can check in and go, okay, like going back to this relationship, um, what about it is still unhealed? The fact that... Um they're creating walls so there's no communication. So how does that make you feel? Probably helpless. Anything else? Rejection. Rejection or rejected? Lacking of. Um, that the person is holding on to um, negative judgment. So you're feeling judged, right? Anything else? Not appreciated, not loved. Not appreciated or loved. Great. So these are all things that come up. It's the beauty of this uh, exchange that you're having because now this person has pulled out the bowling balls that says that you could be not valued, not respected, that you could be judged, that you're vulnerable to judgment. It says that, um, you know, you're either not listened to or not valued, you know, all these things. What we really want to look at here is what is coming up in me as we have this relationship experience. And then once I identify those things, or even a few of those things, because I start to realize that what this person is doing is they are mirroring my bowling balls back to me, my beliefs, right? So now we can take it straight up into higher consciousness, and we can say, Dear God, I'm in this relationship with this person, and it feels like there's not enough communication, or communication is lacking. And that's making me not feel valued or like I'm enough. Somehow I feel deficient or inadequate, uh, not cherished in some way. Maybe I feel vulnerable, judged in some fashion. Will you please take those thoughts from me? That I could be in any of those conditions. That any of that is being the truth of who I am. Would you please take that from me and replace it with your love? So do you see how this relationship can be used to identify where you're holding on to some misperceptions about yourself. So even if this relationship seems to be going on past what we feel patient for, this is where that opportunity again and again, if that's still coming up day after day, it means we haven't really let that exchange be made. We haven't really turned over those thoughts. So let's say tomorrow they do the same thing. You know, they don't respond to you or they give you a response that you're not really wanting to hear. And then you check in with yourself. You go, okay, how am I feeling about that? What's coming up in me? Well, I'm feeling, you know, dismissed again. I'm feeling discounted or disrespected in some way, not valued. 
So then we go right back into prayer. Dear God, there's still a part of my mind that's engaging with this idea that I could be disrespected, discounted, or not valued in some way, not loved or appreciated. Would you please take those thoughts from me and heal that place in my mind? Help me to see this person differently. Help me to see what you created within them. Help me to see what all of this this exchange that we're having, help me to see what this is hiding. Because just underneath this, therein lies the miracle. Grievances hide the truth. Grievances and judgments are defenses against that which is real. They're like the blanket over the sun. As we allow these thoughts to be entertained and a willingness to see the person differently and we we make a reservation for peace beforehand or as soon as we remember, we're actually opening up to an amazing situation of healing and transformation. The greatest thing to do is just try it. It will prove itself and you will have experiences that just blow your mind. All of a sudden, somebody shows up that has never said anything like that before, never done anything like that before, and then all of a sudden, they are showing up in a way that is rather decent and loving and kind, and all you did was give them that opportunity. Question in the back? What do you say, uh, what do you do to, if a relationship is not being healed fast enough? If a relationship is not being healed fast enough, um, and just ask yourself, that's a problem because, just see what's, what comes up for you. What is that? Resentment and old anger. Resentment and old anger. So one thing that we could be aware of in that situation is that somehow I need this other person to do something in order for me to be happy. Okay? So we can see that I'm holding a belief that they, this other person is the holder of my happiness and that they actually have to have this action in order for me to get back to my happiness because happiness is within us. It's not outside of us. So as long as we let that other person hold this happiness and keep it from us, they will. Okay, so we want to just go straight up into higher consciousness and go, okay, dear God, I have this idea that this other person is keeping my happiness from me somehow, some way. Will you please take that from me? Will you please help me to remember that happiness is my birthright as your child and that I am entitled to a happy, glorious, joyful, healthy, abundant life, that you are my source, that I have everything intact already? And will you help me to be able to see this person differently? Help me to see the truth of them as you created it. I want to see what you see. I want to know what you know about them. And regardless of how angry I am at them or what I think they should do or shouldn't do, I'm going to give that to you. And I just want to see the, right into the divinity of this person. So at this point, you've taken that bowling ball that they've handed you and you have set it on the ground yourself. And you said, no more. We're not doing this. We're not doing the persecutor victim or you're the keeper of my happiness. You're holding it ransom. We're not doing that. I'm going to choose happiness now. I'm going to choose peace now. I'm going to be willing to see you for the truth of who you are, even if you didn't earn it. Right? In my mind, right? I'm going to do it anyway. And the reason I'm going to do it anyway is because my peace and my happiness depends on it. My peace and my happiness depends on it. 
It's not about the other person at this point. Our willingness to see the truth of them is what will heal that unhealed thought about ourselves. Okay? I wanted to do a little reading here. It's called The Circle of Atonement. It's page 284, chapter 14, section 5. But we're going all the way over to paragraph 11. It says, Each one you see, you place within the holy circle of atonement, or leave outside, judging him fit for crucifixion or for redemption. If you bring him into the circle of purity, you will rest there with him. If you leave him without, you join him there. Judge not, except in quietness, which is not of you. Refuse to accept anyone as without the blessing of atonement, and bring him into it by blessing him. Holiness must be shared, for therein lies everything that makes it holy. Come gladly to the holy circle, and look out in peace on all who think they are outside. Cast no one out, for here is what he seeks along with you. Come, let us join him in the holy place of peace, which is for all of us, united as one within the cause of peace. So we can think about this circle of atonement or almost like a circle of light or at one And when we have another person that's bringing up distress in our lives, um, it's almost like we're standing in this circle of light and we're seeing this person as outside of that circle. And they're kind of calling us to come out of our circle in a way. We're seeing them outside the circle of light and we're feeling drawn to kind of step out into the darkness with them. But if we could truly understand it, there is no one outside of this circle. So what we can do instead, and this is where it's a call for love. So if someone is uh, misbehaving in some way or acting out in some way that we do not feel is of love, we can actually invite them consciously into our circle of light and just be willing to see the truth of them. We don't even need to know what that is. It's just a willingness to not judge what we see with such a firm commitment. A willingness to invite them into that circle of light and say, Dear God, show me the blessing and the gift of this relationship. Show me the miracle that my judgments and my grievances are hiding. Help me to see the truth of this person as you created it. This is how we invite them into our circle. And this is where miracles begin to occur. Now let's move over to, uh, it's called The Forgiven World. And it's page 352, and it just starts here at number 1 on page 352, chapter 17, section 2. The Forgiven World. Can you imagine how beautiful those you forgive will look to you? In no fantasy have you ever seen anything so lovely. Nothing you see here, sleeping or waking, comes near to such loveliness. And nothing will you value like unto this, nor hold so dear. Nothing that you remember that made your heart sing with joy has ever brought you even a little part of the happiness this sight will bring you. For you will see the Son of God. You will behold the beauty the Holy Spirit loves to look upon and which he thanks the Father for. He was created to see this for you, 
until you learned to see it for yourself. And all his teaching leads to seeing it and giving thanks with him. This loveliness is not a fantasy. It is the real world, bright and clean and new, with everything sparkling under the open sun. Nothing is hidden here, for everything has been forgiven, and there are no fantasies to hide the truth. Between that world and this is so little and so easy to cross that you could not believe it is the meeting place of worlds so different. Yet this little bridge is the strongest thing that touches on this world at all. This little step, so small it has escaped your notice, is a stride through time into eternity, beyond all ugliness into beauty that will enchant you and will never cease to cause you wonderment at its perfection. But what we're saying, or what the book is saying, is that this circle of atonement, this circle of light, of purity, this place where the truth of who we are is known, if we could stand there and imagine that we are waking up to that, we are remembering this truth within ourselves, and the quickest way to remember that truth is to invite those that are causing the challenges, the complexities in our life, the ones that are bringing up our judgments and our frustration and our anger and our fear. If we could invite those beings, those divine souls, into this circle with us and ask to see them differently. This is an act of divine love. It's not easy. And yet it will change your life dramatically. Because one day you will look out and if you start to take that inventory of people around you that are filled with love and grace towards you and those that are your persecutors and your judges and your villains and your victims, you will find that your world is peopled with only love. That you look out and you see only wholeness and you look out and you see only purity and grace and love. And you look within and you see the light of God. And this happens through this undoing of a consciousness that's tied to judgment. Because we usually use our judgments to defend against the truth. But if we get to a place where we're tired of that, we're tired of not knowing what the truth is. We're tired of an inconsistent, lacking, unloving life. And we want to know God's will for us because we've denied it up until now. And if we will allow it, the truth can be shown to us even in tangible perception as we are here right now in a physical expression called earth. It seems a little strange to draw upon a truth that seems so absolute and so intangible And yet as we do, you're going to see the outward effect of that shift in consciousness. And it will bring miracles that you never thought possible. So as we remember tonight that we each have our little bag of bowling balls. And those bowling balls are a little bit heavy. And they are the biggest, ugliest beliefs we carry about ourselves. So the next time another person reaches in and grabs one of those balls... And they are so kind to play that role with us. And sometimes it can appear rather harsh or challenging or even scary. That we can quickly go to a place in consciousness and go, Okay, I think I'm looking at one of my beliefs right now. Dear God, please heal my mind. 
I'm going to make a place for you to heal every thought I have that believes that this experience is even possible. Help me to know the love that you have for me. Help me to see the divinity of this other person, even if they're not willing to show it to me. Help me to look right into the light of God within them. And I'm going to be willing to see it. And that's saying a lot, isn't it? When we feel right or just about our judgment. But bear in mind that our judgment obscures love. Our judgment denies us the experience of the love of our source. It's not God withholding it. It's our own selves depriving ourselves of the benefit of the love that is our right. The truth of who we are. Dear God, we thank you for this time that we have drawn together. And we thank you for your love and strength and wisdom. We know we've made mistakes. We have our misperceptions. And sometimes we miscreate, much to our dismay. But we're willing to remember that we cannot be altered. And we cannot alter the truth of another being. And so tonight we can hold in our minds and hearts those people that we feel are the most challenging, the ones that bring up our judgment, the ones that make us feel hurt or threatened in some way. And we just surround them with light. We are willing, those who are willing, we are willing to look into the divinity of this person. We are willing to see what you created within them. We are willing to know that they are not their actions and behaviors. And we are willing to look at what they are showing us, what they are mirroring back to us. And we are willing to look into the beliefs that we are carrying about ourselves or about others and to surrender those to you to be healed for us. And we are grateful that it is not up to us to heal our own mind. Our part is to look at what it is that is causing us distress or pain or fear of any kind and then to give it to you to be gently and lovingly undone. We thank you that as we walk forward, that we walk with your certainty and confidence and with your strength, and that with our willingness combined with your strength, that there is nothing to fear, and that we can truly walk through anything, and we can communicate anything or express anything that we feel is necessary as an action of love. Thy will be done. Amen. Amen. Amen.